Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. This is a start to a series I got going on, just following along with uh, something I'm doing in life, trying to learn how to shoot a recurve. I kind of feel like I know a little bit about it. You heard my intro on this way back when, or a couple episodes ago, and even through a couple things really early when I knew I'd be doing this, but finally kind of biting the bullet and getting it done. So I reached out to Hoyt to start with, and we've got one of their engineers, uh, Douglas, on to tell us a little bit about just picking the right bow. Realized when I was all done that maybe I should have asked the engineer a little bit about some of the engineering that went behind the bow. However, that's not the level I'm at. So if you're like me, just kind of starting off with shooting a recurve, have a lot of questions around fit and what bow is going to do what, this is the episode for you. So I'm trying to trying to play catch up a little bit with this new skill I'm learning. And here's a little bit about what I'm, what I'm learning in that process. So here's our episode with Doug and we'll have an Olympian and then we'll have someone from mountain ops to, uh, continue sharing some more of this recurve knowledge. But in between that, Dre will be in right now. She's off in Montana hunting bears. Stay tuned to hear kind of the results of that hunt. She's got a lot going on, really good interviews. We will be back to a 50-50 split of the episodes. Me one week, her the next. We've got a lot of great episodes, and I'm finally getting settled. I'm sitting here in a fully furnished podcast room, and things are comfortable, and life is getting back to normal, so it's great. So enjoy this episode with Douglas. All right, Doug, thanks for joining us on the podcast. I uh, have jumped down the big long road of picking up a recurve, and I am trying not to be self-taught. I've been self-taught on a lot of different skills, uh, so I'm hoping to reach out to folks like yourself and some other folks uh, that have some some experience with shooting recurve just to kind of bridge that learning curve. So if you wouldn't mind, just introduce yourself and uh, we'll get talking talking bows. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Douglas Denton. Um, I am the recurve brand manager for Hoyt Archery. I've been with Hoyt for about 13 years now. Uh, and my main focus is uh, is obviously working and designing all of the recurve product, and that's from the hunting line all the way to the uh, to our target line. But I also wear a lot more hats here at Hoyt. Um, I design all the accessories uh, that Hoyt and Fuse have. Um, I work on compounds from the hunting compounds to the uh, uh, to the target bows. Uh, so. And then after all that's said and done, then I spend quite a bit of time out in the production area and uh, 
making sure that you know the the quality that we're looking for on the uh, on the recurve side specifically is is being met and making sure that everything is kind of just flowing as the uh, as the production field facility should. So I get to do a lot of things here. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. So I, I that that sparked a couple of things for me as a brand new archer. I guess I'm not a brand new archer, but brand new recurve shooter making me feel like a completely brand new archer. Uh, I do teach a lot of lot of folks how to shoot a bow, but man, when I pick up that bow and I shot my first dozen arrows, I felt like there was too many things for me to even concentrate all on at once. And I know now, now I'm relating that back to those folks that I've taught shoot a compound. Like, oh yeah, there's a dozen things you're trying to think of all at once that are now second nature. I know my anchor point. I know uh, the feel, I know that I got the muscle memory figured out and that all comes second nature. Now, now I'm going back to this doesn't feel, I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't get consistency yet. Uh, I have to admit I've, I haven't had my bow long, so I really haven't been shooting it too terrible much yet. Uh, my goals are just to play around. So I don't have any big goals of getting out in the field this fall to, to hunt with it. Um, but, but I know there's, there's are, there are a lot of folks out there that, that maybe would, once they pick it up, they'd want to jump right in. And I was chatting with someone about kind of my, the series here and doing, learning about these recurves. And I bet you in the back of the mind of a whole lot of compound shooters, everybody's got that little, I wonder what it'd be like kind of thought of what would it be like to shoot a recurve? Would that be something I could get into? So that was the, the point of this series. And then to, to share just another skill, I, I'm just kind of interested in learning a new skill. So I do have my, my Hoyt Satori, but I want to back up to conversations you have with folks to help pick that out. That It seems like there's new vocabulary. So if you got someone on the phone, say, Hey, I'm interested in, uh, looking at getting into a, a recurve, where do you start? You know, great question. You know, first let me let me comment on, you know, there's a lot of people out there that you know are, are bow hunters, and and you know me myself, I, I started out you know shooting a compound bow and still do for hunting. Um, have been shooting a, a recurve, my goodness, since 1994. So, um, it's. Uh, it, it's a, definitely a different animal to say the least. And, uh, but, but just like archery, most people get introduced to archery, you know, maybe, maybe at some, you know, summer type camp when they're, you know, younger and they pick up a bow and, you know, everyone's flinging arrows towards a target. And it's typically with like a, a small recurve or maybe like a, you know, really entry level, like longbow type setup. I know for me personally, I, um, you know, I, I got introduced to archery uh, through my father, which a lot of us, uh, you know, growing up as kids, we that's how we get introduced, you know, from our parents. Mm-hmm. But I also had a lot of uh, interaction with uh, like 4-H for me personally. I grew up in the uh, state of Kentucky and I was really active in 4-Hing and, and uh, learned a lot about archery there as well. But when I get that phone call and, you know, you know, someone's going, hey, I'm you know, I've been hunting all my life, you know, and, and my hunting bow is, you know, I shoot a 70 pound hunting bow and I have a 30 inch draw. And, you know, what, what type of bow should I get, uh, as far as getting into the, to hunting with a recurve? And, uh, 
the the biggest thing that I see um, you know people make when purchasing their first recurve to to go hunting with is they they make the assumption that man I'm I'm shooting a 70 pound compound so I can you know I can shoot 60 pound recurve that's going to be no problem whatsoever and it is so dramatically different when you pull back a recurve and it's 60 pounds versus when you pull back a recurve and it's 70 pounds because I'm I think I said recurve twice <laughs> when you pull back the compound and it's 70 pounds um, that compound with the cams and the mechanical advantage you have there, and then it breaks over and you're holding like, you know, 12 pounds, way, way different than when you pull back a recurve and you're holding that entire weight the entire time of the shot. Matter of fact, most people, when they get a recurve and they, and they think they need to have that, that 60 pound, you know, draw weight on the limb, they can't even get to their full draw. It, their 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 muscles just simply just aren't aren't uh, developed enough to be able to pull back a recurve to truly get it back to the full draw position. So they end up kind of short drawing it, and uh, you know it, it's hard to get in alignment, and it's and they struggle with with any level of accuracy. So first and foremost, one I always ask what someone's draw length is, and let's just for this conversation, you know, let's let's just say the draw length is 29 inches. Um, uh, you know, so we have a 29 inch straw and then I ask, you know, what type of hunting bow are they using? You know, and, and typically, you know, a lot of hunters are somewhere around that 60 to 70 pound range on their draw weight. And so for a 29 inch draw length, uh, on a compound, uh, we have a lot of different options when it comes to the, uh, Satori line. We have a 17 inch riser, a 19 and a 21 inch, and then you can mix and match, you know, a short limb versus a long limb with that. Um, to really get a, a different feel for that bow. Um, if someone tells me that they're primarily going to be hunting out of a deer stand and they have a 29-inch draw, I'm going to kind of push them more towards that shorter handle, whether it's a 17 or 19, just to have some more movement, move uh, more mobility in a deer stand. Um, but then when we're picking the weight of the limb, and they're 29 inches. I will typically tell them to buy a limb that's 35 pounds and no more than 45 pounds. And this is where people really short circuit a little bit on me. They go, well, no, 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 no. I, I, I need to be able to shoot, you know, 50, 60, you know, plus pounds to be able to, you know, harvest an animal. And it's like, but when you draw back your recurve, so we mark the limbs at 28 inches. So 28 inch to draw. And, and for every inch past 28 inches, you're going to gain two to possibly even three pounds of more bow weight. So just because the limb is marked 40 pounds or 45 pounds, that's not what you're actually going to be holding when you get to full draw. And I think that's the big misconception. They, you know, people go, well, I want to hold 60 pounds, so I'm going to buy this 60 pound limb. Well, if they have a, a 29 or 30 inch or even longer draw length, they're going to be holding a lot more bow weight. Also, with the Satori's, they do have a slight bit of a weight adjustment, and you can adjust the weight, either have a little bit more weight or a little bit less weight, basically around two to, to three pounds. So you can you can have a little bit of wiggle room there. But uh, hmm. being able to, to, to pick a riser and pick the limbs that you're actually going to be able to go out there, one, enjoy shooting, and then two, actually get to a level of accuracy that's, that's going to help you out. So... Again, that 29-inch draw length, 
I'm going to probably push them towards a, if they're hunting out of a deer stand, I'm going to push them towards that 17-inch riser, and I'm going to push them towards a medium limb. So that's going to give that limb, you know, you're going to have a little bit more limb flexing. It's going to make it a little bit smoother draw length. And, it, and I'm also going to push them, you know, more towards a little bit of the lighter weight of the limbs, meaning, you know, that 35 to 45 pounds wouldn't go over 45 pounds. Because once you get to 45 pounds um, and at, at 29 inches of draw, you're going to still be pulling around 47 to, to knocking on the door of 50 pounds. And for a recurve, you know, that's, that's really good, and, and you're you're going to be getting some good penetration with a, a, a good recurve arrow setup um, for any animal you're going to go after and harvest. Okay, so I've picked a the 21 inch riser, the largest one. That's correct. That's the, that is correct. Okay. Yeah, and then the long limbs. They don't, that's the longest. There's not. It's not an extra large. Did I get that right? Uh. Well, we do have an extra long limb, um, but those are—I believe—those are only sewed for the um, uh, on the target line. However, oh, sure. those limbs will fit into a satori. Uh, but typically, if you're if you're purchasing one of our traditional limbs, whether it's the the high end, uh, you know, all carbon type limb, or just the more traditional carbon wood type limb uh, for the satoris, uh, they go to a long limb. Okay. Yeah, that's what I got. And I did the 45 pound and I really did that, the, the whole length one, just because I'm six, seven and have a 32 inch draw length. So I just figured I needed a big bow. And I tell you what, you, you hit your, your specifications, exactly what I would have put you in for cool. sure. Because one, your draw length, um, the length of riser for sure. You need to change that length of riser. You need to change the length of limb. You got the exact right combination for you and your draw length uh, to, to give you the best uh, shooting bow and uh, really at the end of the day, the most forgiving and most accurate bow for your draw length. Cool. Normally I let my pride get in the way in choosing the, my gear and pick something for the <laughs> wrong reason. <laughs> so that's good. I got, got the right ones. And then I actually was a little nervous about draw length too after chatting with a, an arrow company um, just about I shoot full length arrows with my compound that potentially maybe though those aren't long enough and that I would maybe need longer arrows, but went to a local bow shop and, uh, to a knowledgeable guy and he said, and we looked and measured and everything seemed good. So, uh, normally I'd know how to pick out my arrows for my compound, but is it different picking arrows for, for a recurve? Absolutely it is. And, you know, the biggest difference is, well, there's several actually. So we're, we're using our fingers to release the bowstring instead of an actual uh, mechanical release like what we use on a compound. So with, uh, with your fingers and releasing the bowstring, that actually puts a, a different flex into the arrow than what a compound does. And so you're going to get this, um, uh, you know, when, as soon as you release the bowstring, that arrow, the, the string's coming around your fingers, it's actually going to be pushing the arrow in towards the riser and then has it coming away. So it's basically going to start to like look like a snake as far as if you look at slow motion video of, of that arrow flexing around the shelf of the bow. And uh, for sure it changes things. And you know, when, you're, when you're looking at your arrows, you know, Easton and other companies, um, arrow manufacturers, 
um, have their spine charts. Um, I know for sure Easton has a difference between picking out a recurve arrow versus compound. They have different charts for that. And you need to go to that chart that's specific to a recurve because your arrow will uh, flex differently and have a different dynamic tune than what you would with a compound. So it's not like you can grab your compound arrows and go and go put them into your recurve and, and really expect to get a really good tune. Uh, you can shoot them. They're just not going to tune out the way they, they should. Um, okay. And I, and I do have a question on, on some tuning things in a bit, but I, let's, uh, and I took us off course with the arrows, but sticking to bow types. And I know, um, for a hunting bow, Satori is the one for Hoyt, correct? Uh, that is correct. Yeah. And, in other lines, if for people that are looking at getting into traditional, they're going to see, and, and I, I'm assuming I can, can I wrap recurve into traditional? Or is that like a faux pas thing that people don't, <laughs> that recurve, longbow shooters don't like? I'm not even sure. Well, you know, and, and that's going to be different from, from individual to individual and how passionate they feel about, you know, the, the sport. So, for me, when I talk about um, hunting lines, I typically refer to it as a traditional uh, bow. When I talk recurve, a lot of times if I'm talking recurve, it, it, it might be more towards that target side of things. Got but it. that's just how I personally talk about it. You know, there's in my mind, there's no right or wrong answer there sure. because at the end of the day, it's still a recurve bow, whether it's a traditional recurve bow or a target recurve bow. They're both still the recurve bow. Got it. I want to get the language right because – you can learn in 30 seconds talking to someone if they know nothing about hunting and you can tell. <laughs> so I want to make sure I get the language right. on that. So I have respectable conversations with folks. Um, so then with uh, different types of recurves that are out there, you guys carry an ILF bow. Uh, I got that, that, is, that is correct. Okay. Can you explain it, it is, so. what that is? Well, it's interesting that ILF uh, stands for uh, International Limb Fitting, but it's something that Earl Hoyt, the founder of, uh, of Hoyt Archery years ago, came up with this basically dovetail uh, system to, so the, the distance from where the dovetail is in the limb to the butt end of the limb. You know, Hoyt developed yeah. that system years and years ago, and literally the world has copied it and has coined it as the ILF system. Hoyt refers to it as Grand Prix. Um, so we have mm. uh, two different limb fitting systems. We have a, what we call a formula limb fitting system, and we have what we call a Grand Prix limb fitting system. So our Grand Prix is what people out in the industry and, and uh, the world would, would, would refer to it as ILF or International Limb Fitting System. But it is a system that Earl Hoyt, Hoyt Archery, created uh, back in the early 80s, um, and the world literally has copied it. Hmm. And, and essentially, it's just having detachable limbs. That, that is correct. Okay. Yeah. And I just wanted to make that was clear because I had to do some now, Googling when I first started. Yeah. Now, that being said, just because a limb says it's ILF, that doesn't mean they're all truly having the same measurements. Um, I have recently come across some manufacturers of some limbs that are um, over in Europe and people are complaining that they don't necessarily fit into their bows. And, um, but so again, it's got to be careful of, of 
what people consider ILF just because the particular company says it's ILF doesn't mean it's going to fit in every single bow that's out there. It should, but there is that little but at the end of it. So kind of be be cautious of that if you're looking at other limbs from other manufacturers. Got it. Uh, so understanding our bow now, and I do want to come back to some some little adjustments that can be made on that. Uh, the next piece that I'd really like to dive into is um, uh, just some of the other accessories. And as doing so much with accessories, uh, I, I think there's a lot there that, that you can speak to. So, Because I've got a bare bow right now. I took the, the calf hair patch and I went and put it on my shelf and uh, was going to take a little extra calf hair to put it where the string meets the limb. So it dampens that, but otherwise my bow is bare. It's loud right now because I haven't put anything on those limbs yet. But uh, besides setting up my shelf, what should I do next? Okay. Well, if you don't mind, let me start with the shelf because with the Satori's, we actually have um, an adjustable shelf that I'm not sure if any other manufacturers have quite what we have um, on the Satori's out there. There very well could be, but... So when you get a Satori, you, you do have this shelf that you can actually bolt onto the um, uh, to the bow. And we actually have these, uh, what I'm going to refer to as shim plates. We have those shim plates in there so archers can set up their center shot of their bow and make sure they can really dial that in. So you're still shooting off the shelf uh, with a Satori. You have a rug rest included. You have the shelf pad and you have that calf hair uh, uh, that goes onto that shelf pad. And that you have a lot of adjustability there to really dial in your center shot. Um, I always recommend uh, with the center shot, with shooting fingers, especially with the hunting setup, that you have that um, tip of the arrow uh, just on the outside of the string. And uh, that will be a really, really good spot for people to start uh, with their setup of their bow. You also, with the Satori, have... What do you mean? The, I'm sorry to clarify on that by what you mean and... You're talking to newbie newbies, <laughs> so like uh, yeah, center yeah, shot. Stop me when when, when yeah. I get too uh, too ahead of myself here. So when setting up a recurve bow, uh, you want to make sure you have a good center shot. Very similar to what we do with our compounds. You know, you set your center shot up so you get a bullet hole through paper um, with your compound. Mm -hmm. So with recurve, uh, for one, I personally don't recommend shooting uh, uh, shooting through paper with a recurve. There are some uh, traditional archers that that's how they tune their bow. We'll walk through that here in a little bit, though. Okay. So setting up center shot, what I would do is first a couple of different ways you can do it. You can uh, kind of use the back of the riser and center the string up in the back of the riser um, the best you can. Looking So the bow is fully strung. You had the bow basically leaning up against a, a wall or chair. And uh, you can put your arrow on, line up the string through the to, through the center of the riser, and see where that arrow is living on the back. You know, is it on the on just on the outside edge of the string? Is it is it maybe on the inside of the string? You know, if it's definitely on the inside, you need to push that arrow where it's always on the outside of the string. And with that, that's going to allow you to have the uh, the best center shot or the best uh, 
So when you release that bowstring, that arrow needs to flex around the shelf and come away from the bow. Mm -hmm. And if you have that just on the outside of the string, how that dynamically releases from the bowstring, flexes around the shelf, that's going to give you the most optimum place for that. So also another way to find center, and the one that I personally prefer, is you measure the width of the limb, uh, basically right where it goes into the um, uh, riser. So take a piece of tape, put on your limb, and make a center line on that piece of tape of the limb. So basically measure the limb, mark the center of the limb. Then line up and do that on both top and bottom. And then stand behind the bow again and line the string up with the center of the limb. Don't worry about the riser when you when you have marks on your limbs. And then you can set your center shot that way as well. Okay. All right. There's something I gotta gotta play with. So that's yeah, that's a good good tip. Now you talked about uh the cap hair, you know, that you put on your on your shelf and then also the ones that we have that go up uh on the limbs. Mm-hmm. So there's some other aspects, too, to help quiet your bow down. Um, a lot of people, one would refer to them as cat whiskers. Uh, a lot of people use those. There's lots of forms and, uh, and styles of those out there. Those work great for traditional archery. The other thing that a lot of people might overlook is, um, so when I say moleskin, do, does you think everyone knows what I'm talking about with moleskin that you can put on your shelf to kind of quiet things down a little sure. bit if your arrow falls off? So if you take some of that moleskin and actually put it onto the limb where the limb contacts the riser, it will quiet down that bow again to another level. So when I'm setting up a bow to go hunt and I want it, and if it's just a little bit noisy for me, I'm setting it up and I'm trying to make it as quiet as possible. So I'm putting that moe skin. If you don't have moe skin, you have some like, uh, uh, some additional like calf hair type uh, pads that you can kind of cut and put onto your recurve limb to, where it contacts the riser, that'll help quiet it down as well. Uh, brace height becomes extremely important to making a bow quiet. So that's something else to uh, to definitely be aware of. So if you have too short of a brace height or even too, too long of a brace height, it will make the bow react and be more uh, more loud than what it would be if it's at its optimum brace height. And brace height can be funny for a lot of people. You know, we, we have a chart in our owner's manual when you purchase a bow that kind of gives you some ranges. And uh, some people can fall in or outside of those ranges. But if you fall outside of that range and, and your bow is really quiet and you're happy without shoots, then that's perfect for how that particular archer shoots. We're not all built the same. We don't all hold the bow the same. We don't definitely don't all release the bowstring the same. So therefore, our setups aren't going to be the same. So... You know, I might have a eight and a half inch brace height, but you know, for your particular bow, because it is a twenty one inch riser and and the and the long limbs, you might need a nine and a quarter inch brace height. So, you know, play around with brace height and, and you change your brace height with the recurve by just twisting or untwisting the string. And play around with that to really get that bow as quiet as it possibly can get for you. Huh. Interesting. So if I uh, let's say I might be at nine and a quarter right now and I'm looking at my bow, but it's across the room. Uh, I, if I were at nine and a quarter now and I'd want to, if I brought that down to nine, is that, 
or or is it kind of all dependent so i can go down or going up to say nine and a half to well you can do both and and i would recommend doing both like if you feel like your bow's a little bit noisy you know take some twist out of the bowstring take it down to nine inches okay. see see how that works see how it feels how it sounds to you and if that doesn't sound any better or any worse then maybe try nine and a half and see what that sounds like now a lot of people that are are um our traditional bow hunters, when, when they hear a brace height that's nine and a half inches, that's really long. That's really big for a traditional bow, typically. Hmm. Um, we're using that as an example right now. Most of the time, a brace height for a Satori, uh, you know, whether it's a, a short, medium, or long limb, um, and whatever riser, it's going to live somewhere between that eight and a half to nine inch range. And uh, that's where most of most people are going to kind of tune out and, and have, a, have the most optimum performance. Okay. Uh, so we got to rest um, some sound dampening things on where the or uh, the moleskin, right, where the riser meets the limbs. I, am I doing a service by putting in some of that that calf hair where the string hits the limb, or is that absolutely okay? Yeah, no, no. That's okay. so that that string will hit the limb, and what we're do- doing there is is we're just kind of softening that string hitting the limb. That's the other reason with uh, with our Satori's, they come with a Flemish twist string, which is a little bit softer um, up on the uh, end loops there, and it, it helps it be a little bit more quieter. Okay. Yeah, similar to a dead stop on a compound bow. But... Correct, yeah. Okay. And then the uh, sound string dampeners, for sure. Uh, other accessories people put on their bows besides a, a quiver? And I'd, I'd really like for you to touch on that because I wouldn't even know where to start with a quiver. Well, so lots of traditional uh, quivers out there. Hoyt does have our two-piece quiver that can uh, can bolt to the uh, to the Satori's. We have the hexes uh, machined into the riser. I really like uh, using that two-piece quiver, and I typically use a four-arrow on my um, on my Satori versus a a six-arrow. Because it's, I'm just looking for as lightweight as possible. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of options for quivers out there uh, that you can look at your local pro shops and and kind of see uh, some of the uh, uh, different types of quivers. There are some quivers that actually mount to the recurve limb itself, uh, because a lot of traditional bows don't have necessarily a mounting location for a quiver. So, you know, there's companies out there that have adapted that to mount to your to your recurve limb. Uh, so, you know, obviously a quiver is important. Um, I have seen a lot of people uh, in today's world with uh, the machined aluminum uh, recurve risers, such as the Satori, using a small rubber stabilizer at the at you know, kind of like what you would with the compound, just to again take some up, take some of that vibration out of that bow and and give it a little bit different balance and feel um, to help also quiet that bow down as much as possible. But when it comes to accessories, there's not a ton of accessories that you can actually put on a Satori. It is, again, meant to be more of a traditional style, you know, instinctive shooting product uh, to go hunting with. Now, with the Satori, you can, you do have the option. You don't have to use uh, the plates that come with it to shoot off the shelf. You can put a flipper style rest and use a cushion plunger to get a different level of tuning for your bow. Uh, versus that of just shooting off the shelf. Okay. So I am 
choosing to shoot three under, and I notice that, uh, and do a little bit of research, that that messes with my tiller. I think I'm using that correct. Or I'm, I'm putting mm-hmm. uh, more pressure than on, or more stress on the bottom limb than I am the top limb. So I suppose there's some tuning that needs to happen. Just initial well, there tuning. Is. And yeah, so when tuning a recurve, and this is regardless if you're shooting split finger or three fingers under, um, working with some of the some of the bare bow shooters out there in the world and really just learning more from these guys and girls and, and then just my own personal experiences, uh, I haven't found huge differences with knocking point of the arrow you know, split finger versus three under. Uh, that's with my personal setup. Some others might find that. And I'm starting with the knocking point because knocking point is really critical when tuning a bow okay. uh, for a recurve. Um, I also use the uh, the bear shaft tuning method. So if you're not familiar with the bear shaft tuning method, because most people will not utilize that on a compound. Most people with a compound, they're just going to shoot through paper, get the bullet hole, and, and you know get everything dialed in that way. With a recurve, uh, I do recommend the bear shaft. So literally, it's exactly what it sounds like. You have a you have an arrow shaft that has no fletching on it, and you go to the distance. Typically, it's going to be 20, uh, 20 yards, and you shoot you know three arrows, shoot in a group. Now, groups are relative. Your group might be the size of a of a pie plate. That's okay. I'm not looking for all three arrows touching. You just need a group. Whatever that group size is for that particular archer, that's fine. Um, and then you shoot your bear shaft. And what you're looking for is how that bear shaft hits in relationship to those three fleshed arrows you just shot. So if it's to the left or if it's to the right or if it's up or down. So if you have a vertical um, bear shaft, that means you have a knocking point issue. And if you have it going to the left or to the right, depending if you're a right-hand or left-hand archer, you're going to have a weak arrow or stiff arrow. And I always recommend using the the bear shaft tuning test. Uh, there's a lot of information on the internet when it comes to bear shaft tuning. Um, but for uh, so for right-handed archers, you would have if the if the bear shaft is hitting to the left of the group, that's a stiff arrow. If it's hitting to the right of the group, it's a weak arrow. And then again, if it's if the bear shaft's hitting above the group, that means your knocking point is too low. You need to move that knocking point up. And therefore, if it's if the bear shaft is hitting below the group, the knocking point's too high. You need to move that knocking point down. So the goal is to get that bear shaft uh, as close to the group as you possibly can. And that right there is going to yield you the best shooting recurve as you possibly can can have. Um, I'm going to flip a little bit on commenting on the bear sh- bear shaft tuning method. That is the same method that the archers this year. At the Tokyo Olympics, that's the that's the same tuning method that those guys use. Now I get that they have sights and stabilizers on their bows, but they're tuning the bow the same way that I would tune a traditional recurve bow, which is the bear shaft test. And those athletes that are going to be at the Olympic Games are shooting 70 meters, which is around 77 yards, and they're basically putting their arrows in the size of a of a large grapefruit or a softball at that distance. So. Again, it's it's a kind of a tried and true and, and proven method of tuning a recurve. I always recommend the bear shaft test. Okay. 
yeah, that's good to know because then we just got a spine up or down, I suppose, then based on based on that. So there, there's some other options too. Like if if you have, uh, say, your arrow's a little bit weak, um, there is some adjustment again to to our bows that you can um, you can change the poundage to try to try to dial that in. You can also uh, change your point weight. Oh, sure. And if you have a little bit of room with with your arrows, if say they're cut long, then you always have the option to cut a little bit off your arrows to stiffen them. Uh, but keep in mind when you're practicing, you're typically practicing with a, uh, a practice point, not your broadhead. Be careful with the recurve. You, you don't cut that arrow so short that that broadhead is coming, you know, too close to your hand where you're holding the bow. I always like to keep my, uh, my hunting arrows well in front of my hand or the shelf of the uh, recurve, just to make sure I have plenty of clearance for my broadheads. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. So there's our, our knock and our bear shaft tuning and just to set that all part up. What tuning can be done or needs to be done with the, the limbs themselves? Well, we've already kind of really done that. Oh, when you do the alignment process of your limbs, where we're talking about, Oh, I did not do that. We talked about center shot. Let me rewind. So with the Satori, we actually have an adjustable limb pocket. Okay. So when this actually should, I guess I got in front of us a little bit. We should actually line up the bow before doing it, setting up our center shot. So you remember how talked about putting that piece of tape down close to the, uh, just across the limb, close to the, where the limb goes into the riser and you mark the center of the limb. So we have adjustments on the Satori's for the limb pocket. You can actually shift the limbs left and right and line up the both top and bottom limb lined up with each other to where uh, they're actually going to be on working on the same plane, which is really important. Oh, so you just and, don't uh, throw them on there and put the string on and call it good. <laughs> like I well, you, you most certainly can because typically um, the bows are, are lined up you know, from the factory uh, but there are a lot of different uh, limbs as well. So typically, if you just throw it in there and go shooting, you're, you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to be pretty good. Oh, okay. um, so it's not something that you need to really stress over or worry too much about. But we do have that feature into uh, into the Satori line. Oh, okay. Huh. That makes sense. And is that the adjustable limb pockets? Is that where the term tiller comes in? What is that term? Okay, so tiller is simply the measurement from the basically where the limb enters the riser to the bowstring and most archers are looking for what we call positive tiller so that means there's going to be more distance from the top limb to the string than there is from the bottom limb to the string and i have played around a lot with this where i go as much of a quarter inch difference to as little as even um, meaning the same distance from top and bottom uh, it will change slightly how the bow feels, but I think tiller again can people can get too um, too concerned with it because until you get to be really really proficient at at shooting a recurve, slight tiller adjustments people will not pick up at all. Uh, now okay. that being said, you could have some. There's some really, really talented uh, traditional shooters out there that small tweaks in their tiller, they're going to see a little shift in their group. But they're so consistent with what they do that they can pick that up. Uh, 
the tiller I typically run is somewhere around that quarter inch to eighth of an inch, uh, more on top than in bottom. And, and that actually, for how I release the bowstring, helps those limbs to time up. So tiller is fundamentally uh, timing up our limbs together, similar to what we do with our compound bows. We want the cams to be timed up together. Okay. And if I am crawling down the string at all, does that really jack things up? Well, it, it does change things, but to the point of wanting to change your tiller, I mean, you get to a point that, uh, you know, you you got to lock some things down. And yeah, yeah, it dynamically is changing things slightly, but, you know, shoot that way. You know, if you're walking the string uh, to get your different distances, uh, you know, you walk down the string to get when you're closer it's you're you're the closer I, I set up my tiller based on the furthest distance I'm, I'm going to feel comfortable shooting okay and then from there i don't worry about tiller and even when i you know walk down the string okay got it so uh any other tuning and i'm sure there's you can keep going and going and going with tuning but for the the beginner archer uh what uh, any other important factors to keep in mind you know, the, the only thing that, that we haven't mentioned, and it's not bow-related because we've really kind of covered the bow, uh, we got all that squared away, is, is I when you're shooting traditional archery, meaning off-the-shelf, fingers, and kind of what we've been talking about, I really recommend shooting feathers. You know, there's some people that still want to shoot some veins out there with a traditional bow. I, I always recommend shoot feathers. One, feathers are going to be a little bit quieter. Um, and plus, if you aren't getting perfect clearance around your bow, uh, around your uh, shelf of your bow, uh, due to maybe you got hung up a little bit on the release, it's going to be just a little bit more forgiving than what a vein would be. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's. I made sure I got got those in there. Um, and I just went with a three fletch. I see a lot of folks compound recurve jumping over to four fletch. Any insight on yeah, that? Yeah, I would I would never recommend four fletch for a recurve. Okay. That's okay. going to create more drag on the string. Um, and plus, you want to make sure you have proper clearance uh, around the um, around the shelf. So, yeah, I would not recommend four fletch. It's always three fletch. <laughs> three fletch. Okay. That's good to know. Um. You you mentioned feel earlier as a almost almost like a measure. I, I don't, and as someone who just picked this thing up, it all feels weird. <laughs> so I don't know kind of <laughs> what what uh, what you mean by by feel and and what am I looking for? Well, you know what that's it's it's a really good question, and feel is so so hard to measure and explain because what you feel could be completely different than what I feel. And we might be shooting the exact same bow at the same draw length and same poundage. And it might feel completely different to me than it does you. So feel becomes something that really hard to, to, to really talk about. Um, but one of the things I am looking for, you know, we talked about tiller, we talked about brace height, but you want that bow to, to kind of quiet down in your hand as fast as possible, meaning 
I, I refer to it as limb flutter, meaning once you release the bowstring, if you're if you have uh, maybe your tiller a little bit off with how you're releasing the bowstring, you could feel the limbs kind of flutter back and forth, like they're not hitting at the same time. Uh, that's going to change the feel of that bow. Uh, another part of feel is how that limb feels in your fingers and how, how you, as you're pulling back, how that limb is stacking and gaining the, the poundage to get to your full draw. Not all limbs are created equal. Some limbs will feel easier to pull, even though you're once you get to your full draw, you're at the same bow weight than what other limbs. Uh, so that becomes part of the feel too. Uh, typically when people are buying a, a traditional bow, they, they're not playing around with a lot of different limbs. So you're kind of locked into the feel that you get uh, with the product that you've, uh, that you've chosen. But, you know, it, it's, I guess when I'm talking about feel, it's, it's, it's everything. It's how that limb feels and, you know, as I'm pulling back the bowstring, how the bowstring feels in my hand, how the tab is, how, how my hand is relaxed into the grip. And when I shoot, how that bow feels when I, when I release the bowstring and, um, in, in all that interaction. So it becomes hard to, yeah, hard to talk more about yeah, that in, in the, in that aspect. And I'm glad you said tabs just a second ago, cause I just picked up a cheap tab. I don't know if there's benefits in, in a, I don't even know if there are higher dollar tabs. I'm sure there's handmade things, the leather that are really nice, but choosing a tab versus glove, what, what am I looking for? You know, a glove versus tab. I think a lot of people anymore are shooting tabs, um, kind of transitioned away from gloves, but I'm sure there's still a lot of people that use a glove. Um, when I first started archery, you know, I used the glove, uh, and then I transitioned to the tabs. I feel like a tab can be actually more consistent for an archer. Uh, and there are all kinds of makes and models of tabs. So, you know, definitely visit your local pro shop and, and check them out and see what really just, you know, feels good in your hand. Um, uh, cordovan is a, uh, is a type of leather that is really the best leather for in my opinion, on uh, uh, for the tab face, so what's actually wrapping around the bowstring. Uh, it's really smooth, slick. Uh, it gives you a very consistent release. Uh, a lot of people actually use calf hair as well. Uh, again, the calf hair gives you a really consistent release. The problem with the calf hair is it will um, uh, wear out pretty fast, so you might be replacing your tabs more often than you would if you had a cordovan face tab. But that's all depending on how much you practice and shoot as well. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll look into that for sure. Because I do have a calf hair one, and I'm sure that'll that'll wear out at some point. So, uh, what else? What else can you tell us? Uh, just maybe either in summary or uh, advice for folks looking at getting into to shooting a recurve, and actually maybe even before that, what brought you into it? Well, you know, what brought me into it, um, one, you know, I, I got into to bow hunting when I was a young young man, probably eight, nine years old, watching my dad practice with his buddies with his compound bow and getting ready for the deer hunt. Um, you know, growing up in the state of Kentucky, there's lots of white-tailed deer, and, and I got hooked on hunting at a really young age, and uh, but didn't find recurve. 
honestly until um, uh, 1991 is kind of when I found Recurve. So in 1991, I was a uh, I was a senior in high school and been hunting, you know, at that point since I was, you know, that eight or nine years old with a bow and uh, just been a compound bow and, uh, and was reading some articles in a um, in a in an archery magazine. I was actually sitting in a geometry class in high school, not paying attention. Ironically enough, I'm an engineer now. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, that's how that works. An I was a magazine. I was a teacher, and that's how that works. Like, <laughs> you're not. That's not a rare story. Yeah. So, um, and and there was an article in there about uh, about recurve, and I was really intrigued. And from that point, I've kind of just sought out the recurve and started playing with it, got recurves and, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of led me down the road that, uh, brought me to my career that I've been in for a while now. So it's, uh, it's amazing what, uh, what the sport of archery can truly bring to, to people's lives from long lasting, uh, friendships that I have that I would have never had if I didn't have archery. Uh, just, just the enjoyment of walking out into the, uh, into nature, into the woods, regardless of where you live, and just enjoying the time out there to to be with nature and to go hunting and and enjoy the the sport that we truly love uh, and cherish here in the state. So, uh, but what, you know, uh, the other thing that go ahead. The, I was going to say the other thing that I would recommend to someone getting into recurve is be patient and enjoy it. Um, it can be frustrating, you know. Um, you know, for for a true traditional archer that is literally just looking at what they're shooting at and you know, you know, releasing the arrow, it's very similar to if you and I were playing catch with a baseball. You know, we wouldn't try to aim that. We would we would throw that ball towards each other, and we would be relatively close to, you know, getting it into our baseball glove. Or if we're throwing a football, it'd be relatively close to, you know, the the person you're throwing it to. Archery is the same way. It takes a little bit different, a uh, little bit longer to get that feel, because we, you know, when when we're kids, we throw stuff all the time. We throw rocks, we throw sticks, we throw baseballs, we throw footballs, you know, and, and we've been doing that pretty much our whole life. So we kind of ingrained how to go do that just naturally, just growing up as uh, as kids and playing. And you know, take the recurve the same way. You're not just going to come out of the gate and and shoot, you know, lights out. Give it some time, but have fun with it. Because again, that's kind of why we all picked up the sport to begin with. Is we we really enjoy it and watch. I like watching the arrows fly and seeing how good of a group I can get. And uh, but it does take some time though, so be patient with it. How's switching back and forth between a compound and recurve? You know, I've done it for so many years. I have zero issues with it because. One, I'm not shooting fingers with a my compound. I'm shooting a release, so it's just a completely different mindset for me. Hmm. Okay, yeah, I I feel like when I shoot my rifle a lot, I get really bad at my shotgun and vice versa. But that's just because I'm shooting wrong, probably. <laughs> but so I just <laughs> I just like picking up my recurve, and other than taking shooting time away from shooting my compound. Uh, it's probably not doing any damage whatsoever, but I, I just am trying to think through is like, Ooh, I really don't want to get any worse at my compound because I didn't make the best shot on a Turkey yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, the one thing that I found for myself, the more I shoot my recurve, the better I am with my compound. And and I think a lot of the reasons is I'm really focused on a little bit more technique with my recurve than I am my compound. Um, I'm holding more more bow weight with my recurve than I do my compound. So when I pick up my compound, I'm actually stronger. So I can hold steadier. I can get that bow back quieter. Oh, that makes sense. You know, sense. so um, I, I think there's benefits to shooting a recurve. And especially when you're going back and hunting with your compound, you're they, they cross over pretty quickly and easily, at least uh, for me. But I've been doing it for you know, a couple of years as well. But uh, I do believe that shooting in the recurve can help you make a, make yourself a better compound shooter. Cool. Well, I'm excited to, it, it feels weird. I'm excited about carrying this thing around at some point in the woods. Uh, and it's just so weird because I weight my compound down and then you pick up this thing and it's, it doesn't weigh anything. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, explaining all of this to to such a, a newbie guy and trying to figure this out. And and I really think there's a lot of listeners that are going to be able to pick up some some things to make maybe think about, or uh, we can reference back to this podcast in the future if they do decide to to kind of pick this up. It was July last year. I finally said, uh, well, not finally, but that's kind of when it when it kind of hit me that I. I think I'm going to get one. I think I'm going to get one. And then by now, okay, now I'm starting. So it took me a little bit <laughs> and, and just some playing around with the thoughts of what I would do with the thing, when I would do it, uh, kind of where it fits in my life. So, uh, appreciate you sharing all that information. Cause it's, it's, it was much needed. Well, I appreciate you having me on and, uh, I'm always here to help. So have any other questions or if anyone out there has questions, you know, feel free to get a hold of me here at Hoyt and I will do my best to answer the questions. If I don't have the answers, I will find the answers for you. So, well, yeah, yeah, we appreciate that. And, and we got to check out Hoyt. You got to check out Hoyt. Great products. I have my double XL and my Satori sitting right next to each other on my, my bow rack. And, and I love those bows. So thanks for, thanks for engineering some cool stuff. I like it. <laughs> well, thank you. All right, well, we'll talk to you another time. All right, you have a good one. Bye. Bye.